0: We're in 1 Peter, the book about our great salvation, as some have said, and as I said last time, many times when we hear the word <clears throat> salvation, we're thinking of that time when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and that is our salvation, past tense, that's our justification. Uh, when you came to Christ, he saved you. He, you put your faith and trust in him, he regenerated you, and he saved you. That is a one-time event, that happened in the past for the Christian. But the process of sanctification goes on and on and on. We are being saved. And then there's future salvation, glorification. One day we will be saved. These bodies will be changed. And we will be like Christ. And we will stand in his presence. That's the culmination of all things. The goal of all things is that salvation. I think in the early church... Their focus, our focus is so much on the cross, and it should be. The cross is very important. The cross is our salvation. If Christ had not gone to the cross and died as a sacrifice for our sin, we would know no salvation. But they focused a lot on the resurrection as well because the resurrection was about the new life, the new orientation that they now had as believers in Christ. It was the new life that their focus primarily was given to because now that i'm a changed person how do i live that life in obedience to christ and though the focus on the cross is important we recognize that the resurrection even when we do a baptism here and we bury some someone's buried with him in baptism and risen to new life that's what the resurrection is our new life in christ and that's what i want to take you to this morning because Peter gives some incentive here for living that new life. His message has been about our salvation in the first chapter and earlier in parts of the second chapter, but now in chapter 4, verse 7 and following, he's focusing on these five verses. He's focusing on that new life. He's focusing on sanctification. And he says this incentive to do that, we saw last time or the time before, is in verse 7a. It says, the end of all things is near. Because Christ is coming back and that time is near, and we're approaching, uh, and says that we're approaching that day when he will return. And let me just say this to you. We are not approaching the last days. We are in the last days. We have been in the last days for 1900 years. Understand that. Peter is writing nineteen hundred years ago, and he says the time is near. You recall the writer of Hebrews chapter one, verse two, saying, In these last days, in these last days he has spoken to us through his son. We have been in the last days for nineteen hundred years. Listen to Second Timothy three, one, but realize this that in the last days, difficult uh, times will come, men will be lovers of self. I guarantee you, men have always been lovers of self, even in Timothy's day and in our day as well. We see in Romans 13, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is near to us. Talking about that future salvation, that future salvation is near to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. And then in James chapter 5, verse 8, you too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. And so he gives in that just short phrase, he gives the incentive for the instruction that he's about to give. Because we are living in those times, he says, this is what you're to be doing. He says, you are to not go and hide. You're not to go off into a mountain and huddle together in a cave and do all those things. No, he's going to say, no, make yourself very visible. Make yourself very, very visible. This is what you do in the meantime while you are waiting for his return. He starts out by saying, be of sound judgment he says therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer i just reviewing this from last time the focus has got to be it's got to have an impact on me before i can have an impact on anybody else understand that i can't say that i'm just going to go out and do something that i for, and and call other people to or try to live a certain kind of life that i first have not been impacted by myself And that's what he starts with, the vertical connection in this. He says, you, you be of sound judgment, you protect, you safe, keep your mind safe. That's the idea of this. Don't let yourself get distracted or tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You think God's thoughts, you think biblically, you take every thought captive. That's what we're to be doing. We're to be concerned with our own personal holiness. I wasn't in the class on Leviticus this morning but I know what that book is about and just hearing Doug pray about it it reminds me of the call to holiness. We're called to be a holy people. So he starts with that, you be holy. You give attention to your own personal holiness for the purpose of prayer because you don't want your prayers to be hindered. You want unhindered communion with God. This is so important. This is so important. This is so important and so basic, but I just have to say it again as we said it last time. You want unhindered times of prayer. You don't want sins piling up and blocking your time with God. You don't want to be negligent in spending time with God. You don't want to be too busy, that you're too busy to spend time alone with God. You can't do anything else in the Christian life if your posture is not one of coming out of a strong relationship with God. That is so key. And this is what he says. uh, you, You must give attention to personal holiness, your personal walk with God. Before you try to do anything for anybody else, make sure that you have given time to this. And then he says, when you've done that, then you look around you and the horizontal, the horizontal link. And then you, you look around you and, and, and you see others above all. Verse 8 says, keep fervent in your love for one another. You, you look around you and the most important thing you can do now is to love fervently. Let your love be tested and stretched to the max. In other words, when you think you've reached the end of your love, go further. That's fervent. That's the word fervent. It's easy to say, I love somebody. It's easy to say I, to say the words. It's hard to do. It's hard to do because we're selfish. It's hard to do because we are lovers of self. Most people would tell you as the time grows, gets near and things get worse in this world, think just about yourself. Think about how you can be prepared for that. No, Peter says no. As believers, don't be lovers of self. You be lovers of others. You give attention to the needs of other people. Listen, there are so many needs around us. That should characterize us in the days in which we're living, of our care and concern for others, not our own self-preservation, but for other people. The rest of the world would say, just prepare for the end by thinking about you. But no, this is how the unbelieving world will know there's something different about us. It's because we have this love for each other because, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Love always forgives. Love always looks for opportunities to extend grace. That's what love does. Love is always looking for opportunities to extend grace. It's not that love condones sin, but love looks what's best for somebody, even if that means confronting the sin. But love covers sin. It doesn't ridicule. It doesn't condemn. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't try to make a spectacle of somebody's sin or publicize somebody's sin. No, love's very nature seeks to cover and protect and extend grace in times of sin. That's what love does. Then today, he mentions a couple of other things that we'll finish out this section with. He mentions in verse 9, you see it there, in verse 9, he says, be hospitable. What he's doing now is he's giving you two ways to love, two ways to love. One is in verse 9, and the other is in verse 10. You need something practical? Tell me what I need to do. How can I be fervent in my love for others? How can I be in the position to allow love to cover a multitude of sins? And this is involvement with people. And it gives two ways here to be involved, two ways to uh, show love and to demonstrate love. One is in verse 9, be hospitable. The other is in verse 10, be a faithful steward. You see these two things. Hospitality, cheerful hospitality. It's, this is mentioned in the Bible a lot. You see it in 12.13, contributing to the needs of the saints. You see it in verse 16 of Romans. Phoebe was received by the believers. You see it in 1 John chapter 5. Gaius is commended for his hospitality to strangers. In fact, that's what the word hospitality means, love of strangers. That's what hospitality is. It's reaching out to those who are not in your circle, folks. That's what it means. That's hospitality. That's seeking to meet the needs of those who are outside of your circle. It doesn't, it can be in your circle. That's not the problem, but the main word is love of strangers. Love of strangers. Hebrews 13 says, do not neglect to show hospitality, for some have entertained angels and didn't realize it. The early church needed hospitality. They depended on hospitality. Their hospitality was not like our hospitality today. It wasn't the southern living approach to hospitality. It wasn't putting on that brunch that just was spectacular and, uh, you know, all seasons, they got a different one, a different look and something that doesn't put, that puts you on display more than it puts love for others on display. That's not the hospitality they're talking about. They're talking about a hospitality that seeks to meet needs. And it's not about making me look good. It's about serving somebody else. It's the fruit of biblical love. And it's what strengthens ties in the body of Christ when hospitality is shown. And that's what we want, love. Love, that's the main heading here. It's, it's a bond of love and hospitality is one way in which that is shown. They depended on it. Missionaries depended on it. There was, the Holiday Inns were no holiday. They were terrible. They were, they were dirty and they were brothels and they were, uh, they were not safe. And so no one would stay in them that uh, had any sound minds. And could find someplace else to stay. So traveling missionaries were very dependent on hospitality. It was very much preferable to stay in the home of another believer. This is what the missionaries would depend on as they would come through. Once again, just strengthening the ties, especially in times of persecution. He says, be hospital without complaint because there's always that potential to grumble. There's always that potential to be inconvenience. There's always that potential to be... Um, to have to sacrifice and you don't feel like it and be irritated by it. People were poor and it was very, very much a sacrifice for people. But it simply means to show love for strangers in a practical way. And that could mean opening the door of your home and providing a meal. But I think the whole spirit of it is what I said earlier. It's just loving people outside your circle, looking for their needs and seeking ways to meet their needs and to do it without grumbling. That's the whole point. That he is saying, if you, it's interesting. If you read in Second John, Second John is about hospitality. Second John is about the love of strangers. Second John is a warning to the church about people who would come to town and take advantage of your hospitality. That's an interesting interesting uh, warning there. He, He starts out that whole letter of 2 John by talking about love in truth. He says it about four times in the first few verses, love in truth. In other words, our love is not a gushy love. Our love is a discerning love. It's a love that discerns. It's a, it's, it, it's, it was interesting. These mission, some of these people would come to town and just take advantage of your being a Christian and showing them hospitality, and they would basically just stay with you, and basically they would teach false doctrine. He says, don't let your home be a place that allows lies to be taught. He says, don't let your home be a place where these false teachers could come in and take advantage of be enabled by your good will that's a strong warning our love has always got parameters around it it's called truth it's not just some gushy sentimentalism that just goes on feeling no at some point i must lovingly say you cannot stay in my home if this is the views you're going to promote if this is the lifestyle you're going to promote if this is i can't offer you hospitality because the truth is more important. The truth governs my love for you. That is really a balanced approach to this because many people would come to town and wanna to be freeloaders and take advantage of the Christians. And so John warns about that in 2 John. But I think the bigger picture is just simply loving those outside your circle Loving and meeting needs of those outside your circle and doing it with discernment, of course, doing with some kind of discernment. A lot of times people would come to these homes with letters of introduction uh, that these people, you know, telling who these people were. They didn't, you know, didn't have all the information we have about people. They, They had to depend on letters of introduction. So how can we pro- apply this? Let me just give you some practical things we can do to apply this. One, I just want to say every Sunday when you come to church, come with that mindset. God, help me love those outside my circle. Help me reach out to people who are going to come to Grace Church today who are outside my circle. Help me meet them. Help me, let, let me, help me introduce them. Help me to uh, enjoy fellowship with them today. Let that, let that be something you think about before you get here. Don't wait till you get here. Just think about it before you get here. God, help me to go there not to be ministered unto, but to minister. To think of it that way. Boy, that'll give more meaning to your church attendance than anything else because you came thinking how you might serve and minister to someone else. If you meet somebody you haven't met and, and they're a Christian, then enjoy the fellowship with them. If you find out they're not a Christian, point them to the the gospel message on the back of our bulletin or point them to a track or something like that. But let them know what our church is about. Point them to our website. These are some very practical things you can do to people outside your circle. They came here for some reason. Maybe they're just invited. Maybe their wife made them come. Who knows? The point is they're here and they're an opportunity. And secondly, in your home, you have a house. If if God has blessed you with a home, then it's certainly a place that you can use for the purpose of hospitality, why not use it in a responsible way for hospitality, a place of refuge for Bible studies? We're going to have these. Um, ben mentioned it. We're going to have these small groups coming up. This is an opportunity for application here of all this, both of these points this morning. But um, just an opportunity, and uh, maybe if you've, maybe some of you've already read about this and already signed up, and I just want to invite you, if you haven't, to go ahead and and sign up again and. Uh, Get signed up for that if you'd like to be a part of that. It's just going to meet four times this fall. Uh, It's going to meet in several locations. And uh, if you can work that out to to do that. Just an opportunity to be shown hospitality by some of those homes that these are going to be held in. Um, Meet people outside your circle, you know. Um, If you sign up, let me just say this to you. If you sign up, commit to attend. A lot of people sign up for things because they think, oh, that's a good idea. And then something's better on TV that night and they don't go. Don't do that. Only sign up if you plan to go. If you're going to go. It meets four times and starts, I think, next week in the different locations. But don't just take up a space if you're not going to be there. I'm not saying you have to be there every time. I realize things come up, you're gonna have to miss. I'm gonna have to miss one of the weeks. But the point is, that's okay to, but just go with the mindset, I'm gonna commit to do this. Because I do think it's important. We wouldn't do it if we did not think it was important. We would not provide this trellis to our church to hang the the vine work on, the vine work of ministry on, if we did not think it was important for this body. We have so much teaching. We have so much... um, proclamation of the Word that we just really need to, the hospitality, the fervent love for one another, the exercising of spiritual gifts, all of those things are opportunities Won't we try to provide more opportunities in this way. So, what's Peter saying? Peter is saying, in light of the second coming, in times of crisis and persecution, pursue first the holiness with God and second, pursue love with others, he says, so that we can cover their sins and meet the needs of both friends and strangers. Second, faithful stewardship. Look at verses 10 and 11. When you think of stewardship, you think of money. When you think of stewardship, you think we're talking about time. In other words, how you use your money, how you use your time. This one is one that we don't talk about enough in the body of Christ. What, this is what I want you to do, Peter says. This is what I want you to do in light of his return and while you're waiting for that to happen, I want you, he says here, I want you to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see that in verse 10, the second half of verse 10? Serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is how you can love fervently. Let me read the whole thing. As as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever, get this, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever. Endeavor. We are to be busy, go back to verse 10, serving one another. We are to be busy waiting on people. That's the word serving. It's the word for busboy. It Gets worse, doesn't right? it? No, serving. Now you're telling me I'm a bus boy. Well, now it's good. You know, the point is, it's mundane. It's a mundane word. It's a word that flows out of a heart of humility. To serve, to wait on tables was the word used in the New Testament as well. We are to serve others. We received a special gift, verse 10 says. See that? We have received, as each one has received a special gift, we are to serve one another through that special gift. Each one has received a special, uh, excuse me, Each one has received a special gift. Nobody is left out of this verse. Nobody. You're all in this verse, all of us. Each one has received a special gift. We are to employ it in serving one another. We're all gifted in some way. Each member steward each member has been entrusted this is not something you have it's something been given to you it did not come from you it came from God he has given this to you everybody everybody in the body of Christ there are no useless members it's like your human body has many members but it's just one body and each one has a function not useless and the whole purpose is to build up the body, to keep the body healthy. Spiritual gifts are the result of Christ saving us. That's his saving work. Um, He died for sins, raised us from the dead, ascended into heaven and gave gifts to men. Ephesians 4 says he gave gifts. This is his body. We're his arms and legs and mouth on this earth. He left us here to draw attention to him and to bring glory to him. He gave us the gifts to do that. He gave us the ability to do that. He gave us the ability to to interact with one another and serve and love one another so that it puts him on display. And so it's divinely imparted. It's a capacity. It's an enablement that he gives for ministry. It's called the manifold grace of God. You see that in verse uh, 10 as well, the manifold grace of God, meaning that it's many-colored, meaning that you can't just, um, uh, there's a certain uniqueness to it. Uh, it it's, you, you don't want to go to this online gift test. Stay away from those. An online gift, that doesn't, that doesn't fit with this. It's not like that. It's manifold grace of God. It's like you're you're looking uh, you're you're looking into a, a colored glass colored glass or it's it's colored grace. It's just like there's different shades to it, and everybody's looks different. You may serve in one way; others will serve in another way. You may teach one way; others may teach another way in a different context or whatever. It's manifold grace of God. That's what gift is, charisma. It's that giftedness. We're all gifted. We're all charismatics. All of us are charismatics. I'm a charismatic speaking to charismatics because that's what we are. We are gifted with this charisma. And so you don't need to ask, what is your gift? You need to be asking, you need to be saying, God, I want to be so submitted to you in your lordship, that I'm just gonna get busy in the different areas of ministry where you desire, where I have a desire, I'm just getting involved in those ministries, and, and when you provide opportunities, and I'm just gonna watch and see how you bless and use me in those things. I just think that's it. I don't think you need to sit around worrying about what is it and what is isn't. not. I think you just need to say, I'm gonna do something, and I'm just gonna start doing it and see what God does see how god uses you i think it starts with that willingness the willingness to do that don't just let church be a spectator sport for you we got enough of that but let it be a place where you come to minister come to minister because you're told to you've been entrusted with something that we all need we all need I think it can be connected to natural abilities. I do. I I think Paul would be an example of that. He was a a leader. He was a a teacher. Uh, You know, he had certain qualities that got redirected. So I don't think you can say it's not some way connected to who you are. But I think there is certain spiritual enablement and capacity that you would have in one area. Maybe somebody else would not have that same way. But you are unique. And that's the point he makes. Each one in terms of your ability in serving people. And it's necessary and it's essential. And I just say that, that is so important to think about. Because the faithful stewardship of the Christian uh, is at stake here. This is what he's told us to do. Every believer is to be doing this. Look at verse 10, employ it in serving one another. I've already commented on that, but it just means I've got to resolve to use it. I've got to resolve to use it because I'm a steward. It's been entrusted to me. It's, it's not for you. This gift is not for you. Um, it's not something just to build you up and edify you. That's the reason I have a problem with people who are telling me they have the gift of tongues and they... It's manifested in a private prayer language where they go into a prayer closet and pray the gift of tongues. And I I think there are two problems with that. One is that is not the biblical definition of tongues. That is, it was a known foreign language that was used to reach unbelievers. Secondly, self edification is not the purpose of a spiritual gift. That is not the definition of a spiritual gift. You don't use it for yourself. You may benefit from it, but it's for others. It's for the building up of the body. It's not some private thing. So people who say that, I would just say to them, one, you don't meet the definition of tongues by any means, and secondly, you don't meet the definition of a spiritual gift when you tell me that. I don't know where your experience is coming from, but I don't think there's a biblical category for it. You can't find it in the Bible for the common good. So, we're to please our neighbor. Romans 15 says for his edification. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12 just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to come back there, so just hold on to this, but you see in verse 7 Well, this is back up to verse 4. He says there are varieties of gifts Verse 4, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God. You have the Trinity right there. Do you realize that? Father, Son, and Spirit, right there. All involved in the, in the giving of gifts to his body. One God, three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And verse 7, to each one. Is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good and then he lists what those gifts are verse 11 but one in the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills for even though the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body though they are many are one body so also is Christ for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free. we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. One spirit, one God gave us all. Gave all these gifts to the church. Let me just highlight a couple things for you here. Notice. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Keep your hand in, in 1 Corinthians 12. May or may not come back to it, but at least you got it if we need it. 1, Corinthians, 1 Peter chapter 4. Once again, this is to bind us together. Like, just like uh, hospitality binds us together. Just like these spiritual gifts bind us together. Because we need each other. We're, we need each other. He says, notice, whoever speaks, he gives two categories of gifts here. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. He lists those categories there in verse 11. And don't, don't make them exclusive from each other. Don't say, oh, well, I've got speaking gifts, therefore I never have to serve, or I have serving gifts, I never have to speak. That's not true. You're going to cross over those sometimes. These are just some general categories. And there's a third one he does not mention. Paul mentioned it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I didn't cover it, but he mentioned sign gifts. The sign gifts are not mentioned in Romans, and they're not mentioned here in 1 Peter. The sign gifts would be things like tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, prophecy, gifts of prophecy, and miracles, the gift of miracles the sign gifts the elders of this church hold to the view that those sign gifts are not operative today and basically our reason for saying that is because we believe they have fulfilled the purpose for which they were given they were given in a time when you did not have the word of god they were given in a time where all kinds of people would come forth speaking as speaking for god and the one the verification that they were Truly, a prophet of God and truly an apostle of God was the signs that they could perform. Turn to Second Corinthians twelve twelve. You're holding first. You're holding First Peter. You're holding First Corinthians. Now you got to hold with your third hand. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. 2 Corinthians twelve twelve. The signs. First. Second Corinthians twelve twelve. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And listen, I taught a long time on this in 1 Corinthians, so I'm not going to all the details of that. Those are available on our website. But the point I just want to make to you is we don't believe there are other apostles around today because there were qualifications to be called an apostle, and nobody on the planet meets those qualifications because nobody has seen Christ personally and can perform these signs and wonders and miracles. That was the qualification of being an apostle. So that's not an office today. There are people that call themselves that, and if they mean it with a small a, like they're one who is a leader and something, I have no problem with that, but understand it's not the same as Peter and Paul and the other apostles of the New Testament. Those were foundational gifts to the church. It was their teaching, Ephesians 2.20 tells us, it was their teaching, That established and the church is built upon Ephesians chapter 220 and we don't need their message confirmed anymore because we have the scripture now understand charismatics will object to what I am saying and they will say no we do have those sign gifts of prophecy and tongues and I would just simply say to them what you have does not meet the definition of the Bible when you tell me you have tongues and I see what you're practicing, it's not the same thing as the Bible defining tongues. Known foreign language primarily to unbelievers, to preach the gospel to them. When I, you tell me you have the gift of healing and I see your healing, I go, that is not the same healing that the gift that the apostles and others had in the New Testament. It was heal completely on demand, no questions that it happened, no wondering did it really happen, any of that. All I'm just saying is the definitions have been changed by the, those who hold to these sign gifts being prevalent today. They've changed the definitions. They're not biblical definitions. So when I say they're not operative today, I say the New Testament gifts, sign gifts, are not in operation today as they were done in the New Testament or as they are defined in the New Testament. And I think one of the biggest reasons they're not mentioned here in Peter and Romans, later books than 1 Corinthians, is because those gifts were already ceasing to be used. That is the opinion of the uh, elders of this church, and that is in our What We Teach document. You can be a member of this church and disagree with me, just like you can disagree on several other things and still be a member of this church, but that's one thing that we do hold to regarding this. But he does mention too, and he mentions speaking gifts. And I'll just be brief with this, but speaking gifts, what I'm doing is a speaking gift. What people who do counseling are doing is a speaking gift. What people who teach Sunday school classes are doing is a speaking gift. People who, who bring the utterances of God, you see that listed there? The utterances of God, the things that God has said. That is the key of the gift. It's not somebody getting up there and making up something of their own imagination. That is not a spiritual gift. That is not the gift of uh, of preaching or teaching. It's when you bring the utterances of God, you see that uh, you're saying what God has said. I'm just, listen, I don't, I don't, I'm just a waiter. As some have said, we're just a waiter. We're not the ones who cook this, okay? We're just, we're the ones who just simply deliver it to you. We say, hey, these are God's words. When you minister to the sick or you disciple to other people or counsel, I believe that you are, have the speaking gift category if you want to, if you want to define it some way the evangelist the preacher in the pulpit it doesn't have to look this way it can look a lot of other ways it's the messenger and he he recognizes that he's insufficient but god's word is sufficient and that's the key you don't want to be in a church where someone is just giving their ideas or just reading the, the, the weekly newspaper to you every week and talking about the current events and getting political on you and all of those things you just need god's word that's what you're here for that's what we do that's that's what this speaking gift is all about many false teachers on the scene just simply speak their own imagination things of their own imagination first timothy 3 and titus 1 talking about elders they must be able to teach Titus says they must be faithful in the word in accordance, able to exhort in sound doctrine, exhorting the flock, exposing error, those kinds of things. James 3.1 says don't let many of you become teachers because knowing that there's a stricter judgment. So there are warnings associated with that. Speaking is dangerous. <laughs> the tongue is dangerous. There's times I've said things I wish I could take back. Some things I've had to go apologize for. I mean, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You get talking up here sometimes, and you've already said more than you know, and then you say more than you should have said. You know how it is, but the point is, that's the danger that any of us would find in that. And then he does the serving gifts in 411. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength of God, which God supplies. And I think you can cross over. I don't think you have one to the exclusion of the other. But the point is, all forms of Christian ministry, would, other than speaking, would fit this category of serving. Uh, there's a uniqueness of personality. People are going to serve different. Uh, some people have the gift of administration and gift with finances. There are other people that need to stay away from that. You know, it's just, just the, how we're gifted on these things. Some people, mercy and and helping. It's all necessary. It's all critical to the church. God has given that to the church because the church needs that. He needs every one of these things. Different seasons, different things are required. But God provides those individuals in the body. He says that you serve the body any way you can and, and, and I think you'll find your gift in that. Just start serving. Just start serving. Find opportunities to serve. And when you find something that you seem, God seems to be blessing you in more than others, then just kick it up to the next level and uh, just realize that's what's needed and that's what we need. He says, by the strength which God supplies, verse 11. We must ask God for strength, right? We've got to ask God for strength. It can't be our own. We pray for strength. We can't do this in the power of the flesh. We can't do it in our own abilities. We recognize we need Him to help us do it. Spurgeon said, I want every member of the church to be a worker. We do not want the drones, that's loafers and they're like the loafers. He goes on to say, every Christian who is not a bee is a wasp, and most quarrelsome persons are useless and they are most happy and peaceable are generally those who are doing the people who are most happy and peaceable are generally those who are doing the most for Christ and his church. The loafers are the complainers, is what he's trying to say. Those who are busy, he says, they're the most happy and peaceable and generally those who are doing the most for Christ and his church. I heard this the other day, you know, there's a Dizzy Dean, he's a baseball player in the 40s. Uh, For his time, he was an incredible pitcher, won several World Series, won several games, winning streaks in his pitching. This is what ended his career. He was hit by a line drive in the foot. In the foot. It broke his toe so severely that he was never really able to pitch the same again. And I just thought that is a great illustration of what happens to the rest of your body when your toe's messed up. I mean, he could never get the right stand. Or you know how you'd come, how a pitcher has to come, the has to come down on their foot and he could never get that right again he could never quite recover from that injury and that injury affected all the other uh, pitching requirements of his body other parts of his body it affected all of them They weren't injured, but they were affected by that injury. And I just thought, that is a picture of the church. That is exactly what it's like when there's a part of the body that is not functioning right. We all suffer. We're not running all cylinders. We're not able to do all that we can do to the glory of God. And we're not able to do all the ministries that we could possibly do. We're not able to be as effective as we could be effective, most effective. When one part suffers, the whole body suffers. That's the analogy of the church, a body with many parts and many members. And, and one is not functioning right, the others all are affected by it. And so then he gives the purpose clause to the whole section in verse 11, so that God may be glorified. See that? See that On verse into verse 11? So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, To who belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Does that surprise you? Does that surprise you that he would say that? (laughs) That's sort of the point of everything, isn't it? That's the point of everything that we do in life. We're here for the glory of God. One writer said it this way. He said, that one of the greatest days of your life is the moment you're born and the second greatest moment of your life is you learn why, (laughs) why I was born. Think about that. I was born to bring glory to God. You want to know why you're here? You want to know why you were born? You were born to bring glory to God and you will know no fulfillment in life, no joy in life apart from living for that purpose. And he says the reason we're to love fervently, the reason we're to show hospitality, the reason we're to focus on our own personal holiness, and the reason we're to, to be stewards of our spiritual gifts is to bring glory to God, to do what we've been created and created in Christ Jesus to do, so that his name will be magnified. His name will be put on display. He will be thought much of. It's not so that people will just look at us and say, oh, what wonderful servants or what great speakers or any of that kind of stuff. The attention is not to us. It is to him and what he can do through us. God's name can be honored. To him belongs all the glory and all the dominion forever and ever. And he just ends this section with amen, so be it. What a great section. What a great section so this is how we're to live and in light of his second coming this is what we're to do in the meantime until it all the culmination of all things amen father thank you for this time thank you God for your word your truth thank you father that you have not left us without any information you have not left us without any guidance on what we're to do as we wait for you to return thank you Father that we know that our purpose here is to glorify you and we do that by loving each other in ways that stretch us in ways that are difficult for us at times in ways that challenge our selfishness in ways that get our eyes off of us and onto others may we be a people who show hospitality may we reach out to those outside of our circle may we go beyond that group that we have attached ourselves to and look to the needs of others may we be those who are realizing that we're not here to just be spectators but we're here to serve and to minister the mundane things to look for ways to do that we just praise you and thank you father that you are a good and gracious god and that you would use a church like ours people that are just plain people, regular people, weak in a lot of ways, strong maybe in some, but weak and and needy and sinners, and just pray, God, that our love for one another will be so strong that we will cover a multitude of sins, always looking for ways to extend grace to one another. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.